Hey, Ashley. Sup? I got a joke for you. For me? From the boys. From the boys. Yeah, the boys are going to love this one. Okay, okay. How many blondes does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Why the hell does it matter? Why do you care? Go get a job. Maybe she's an electrician. (laughs) Maybe she's an engineer. You don't know her story? Welcome back to the Story of Us podcast. I'm Ashley. I'm Hollis. And this is the episode on sexism. <laughs> and okay, so we're trying to go back to our roots, go back to why we wanted to create this podcast, and that is just to discuss different tropes and stories and um, media. Love a good trope. Love a good trope. The impact of these tr- tropes culturally. And so today we'll be discussing – Basically how feminism is portrayed – or not feminism, but femininity is portrayed in media, how it is harmful and how it is helpful and how it all kind of fits together. Yes, definitely. I think that what we're trying to um, get after here is that ultra-feminine women are often portrayed as villains. Yes, Women who wear pink or super blonde are um, interested in shopping and what else? Like boys. Gossiping. Yeah. Um, Just traditionally feminine traits are often glued onto um, a mean girl trope and inherently are used as villains. So we wanted to talk about how that is inherently anti-feminist. Mm-hmm. Because the whole point of feminism is that the freedom to choose is truly a choice, not the restriction of that choice to one side or the other, but rather that your gender expression is your own and that um, if you want to be super girly, that's great. That's who you – how you feel you're most comfortable and you're most expressed or if you don't want to be super feminine, then that is also great and that is also how you feel the most expressed. Right. And I think in a lot of the movies or those characters we are about to talk about, what ends up happening is that two types of women get pinned against each other. Um, and this is a great, I think, diversion technique for men because – when women are pitted, pit against one another, men stay powerful. A civil war inherently makes the opposite or the external party stronger. Right. Correct? Right. Because there's strength in numbers and the notion that one one woman's personality and self-expression is inferior or superior to the other creates infighting. Yes, and that is damaging to a gender as a whole. Right. And we're going to analyze how the typical mean girl trope is often overly feminine because of the overarching trends in 
media to demonize femininity. And raise your hand if you've ever felt personally victimized by Regina George. Listen, not me, but y'all stay safe. I uh, That would not affect me. If I were in high school and Regina George was like being the way she was, I would, you know, not care. So I'd be so far off in like the social stratosphere that she was in that like I wouldn't even care. I'd be like, who's that? Regina George? I have this um, – I have I think I've uh, alluded to this before, but I in general like I, – I don't like popular things or popular people. And the fact that she's popular but she's hated, I think we would get along. No, you know I, what I mean? You, you would kind of be her Janice, but in like a – but we'd be like BFFs. BFFs. You yeah. know? Yeah. I I inherently like things that are not popular, and I don't know why that is. Mm, it's probably a rebel without a cause situation. <laughs> probably a little bit of misogyny, which probably. is what we're talking about here. Exactly. Exactly. So this is all to say. This is all to say. That the first character we're talking about, or the first trope we're talking about, is the mean girl, the Regina George, the Sharpe Evans, the Quinn Fabres of high school. Correct. They are usually cheerleading captain, bleach blonde, come from a rich family or a religious family or a you know a, top of the pyramid. Right. Right. Yeah. And while there are different takes on this and they don't all have the same traits. They do have the same underlying theme in that it is a girl who knows that her sexuality is powerful Mm -hmm. and uses that to, um, to exert power over, uh, other girls to get them to become like minions or, um, to follow her, to, to idealize her, try to be her. Right. And often they very well fit into classical beauty standards. They um, they have everything on paper in line, right? Yeah. But they're often mean-spirited. They are villainous in mm-hmm. the um, in the course of the story. And they are often the foil of the um of the actual women or female protagonist right and there's often a semi love triangle with the male protagonist. protagonist yes yes yeah so these characters kind of exist to make the good girl protagonist the brunette the shy the new girl in town um look better because these girls are, I feel like, the, their main struggle or their strife, their conflict is trying to retain being on top, like having their power. Right. And when something comes into the fold, especially another woman comes into the fold and threatens that, like, they act catty. And like, they're, yeah, they're inherently insecure in their power. Yes. Right? Yes. So I want to talk about a little bit. I when we were brainstorming this episode, I immediately Googled um like brunettes versus blondes because this is a long-running trope in media that has been around for a while but became most prominent around the 1940s and 50s. Yeah, Jennifer Gen- Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. That's the Marilyn Monroe movie. Right, right. Yeah. So so I actually did some research on my for my book on this because I did want to have uh 
my own take on like the mean girl trope and like how that can be um, uh, a device because I think that classically high school pieces of media stick to the formula that there's the underdog girl and the power, the powerful popular girl and the underdog girl gets the guy and inherently all the friends and there's the downfall of mm-hmm. the popular mean, or popular mean girl. And because they all see that there's like a rough underbelly to her and that, you know, personality is what matters. Right. And while, you know, in the scope of a Disney movie, I suppose this is um, a good trope on paper. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it gives, it is a cheat code because, the, okay, here's my soapbox on this. I think this is a cheap co- cheat code to create drama by pinning women against each other because women are perceived as inherently dramatic, inherently emotional. And so by framing a movie that involves two women at odds already sets the tone of drama. And if you think about it, how often have you seen a movie or a TV show where two men who are opposing appearances – and opposing social right. social uh, standards are fighting over a woman. Often that trope is more focused around wealth and money. Yeah. Usually it's like the asshole rich guy versus the emotional uh, good for her yeah, poor, guy. poor guy. You know, like often I think that that really speaks to what is important – like what is what – is, held important in gender norms mm-hmm. in that women like it, it it reinforces the breadwinner syndrome you know yeah. like it says like men are men are good to provide for the family and women are to be trophy wives like yes. that is what it's saying and while that while this structure is trying to undermine that it creates a whole host of new problems mm-hmm. so the the first most famous idea of this that I could find. I'm sure that there are more examples in old, old film, but let's be real. None of our audience is going to know that off of the top of their head, but I'm sure that you're familiar with the, uh, with the opposition of Marilyn Monroe and Jackie O. Yeah. And, uh, over FDR. Yes. And not FDR. (laughs) JFK. JFK. I hate myself. We're keeping it in. (laughs) Yeah. JFK. So, um, Allegedly, Marilyn Monroe and JFK had an affair. And obviously, um, Marilyn Monroe, beautiful blonde movie star singer, like the it girl of that time period. Like she – I mean, like her cultural relevance is still so prevalent today, obviously. And, you know, we all know Jackie Kennedy, like the sweet, soft-spoken, like smart, good – like. I haven't seen the movie Jackie in a minute, but like, you know, her whole opposition, she's just kind of – she was known for not being so beautiful. Yes. Like well, I she was think made fun of for her looks, I believe. I think it's the notion that men like to classify women into that's – you know, like that's a girl that you date and that's a girl, girl that, that you, you marry. Right. Exactly. And that is inherently <laughs> sexist yeah. and very damaging to women. So I did a little bit of searching Mm -hmm. and this one psychologist, which is a man, so let's go ahead. Take this lightly. Let's go ahead and take this with a grain of salt. 
But they did some psychological research on why men approach blondes in bars. Okay. And they said that it suggest their results suggested that um blonde blondes are more easily exploitable. And honestly, the more of this article that I've read, the more I hate the world because this study essentially boiled down to a psychologist showing a, a, a test group of men, a sample group of men, um, a photo of the same woman with blonde hair and brunette hair. More of the men voted that the brunette version of the woman was more beautiful. However, this, the data that they gathered on men approaching more exclusively blondes and bars was drawn to they, – they gathered – that the motivation behind this was because blonde hair induced greater feelings of dominance or confidence in men, which in turn reduced their inhibition. They looked into the psychological motivation behind this. And historically speaking, blonde hair has always been a symbol of youth that has been attractive to men. So, mm. yeah, I don't like where this mm, is going. I don't like where this is going. So they view blondes as more youthful and thus – I'm seeing some red. Seeing <laughs> a lot of red right now. And thus naive and exploitable, which brings back the very controversial notion that a lot of things are rooted in pedophilia. <laughs> Which is just like not funny. That's that's not funny. <laughs> Which is not funny. But you know, I mean, I don't know how verifiable this source is, but I mean, let's talk about it for the sake of talking about it. Right. I mean, blondes and and traditionally feminine aspects are seen as Pink. easier, easier yeah. exploitable because gender roles have enforced that females are inferior to men mm-hmm. for centuries, right? So more feminine traits are easily exploitable for men's um, uh, pursuits, right? So when you make the super feminine girl the villain, it's it's easier to do so because she's super feminine because those traits are easier exploitable. Does that make sense? That makes sense and that makes it interesting to think that – I mean, right now we're really just going off of, like, the phenotype of, like, these characters. Um, but I think it's interesting that these women, these ultra-feminine women are, in fact, exploitable because they're not really taken as serious. Right. They're looked down upon. They're looked down upon. They're kind of – and often in these movies they're made the joke of – and I think what's interesting about that is these women are made fun of for going after what they want. Like Sharpay wants to be the star of the musical. She wants the strong male lead to also be her romantic partner. Regina George just wants to keep her – well, she wants to be the spring fling queen. She wants to keep her status intact. Her status intact, which is like laughable. Because it's it's a woman interest. It's not. It's seen seriously. as trivial. It's seen as triv- but trivial. But at the at the at the that's like the surface level. What they really want, because what Sharpay really wants is success, and what Regina George really wants is power. 
and that's like what everybody wants. Like everybody wants those things, especially men. Like if those things are championed when men pursue them. Yeah. But when they take form in things that are deemed more feminine, they are they're seen as trivial. And that's not fair. Let me just say this. If I were the man, I'd be the man. If I was a man, I'd be the man. Yeah. I mean, to bring it back to Taylor Swift, I mean, they always – she always says, like, if I were a man and I dated all of these men and I amassed the wealth that I have and I achieved the musical success that I had, everyone would look up to me. But I'm villainized in the media because I date around too much. So she she was like, I'm deemed as slutty and I'm de- deemed as greedy because I want money for my work. Right. And, it, and this all just boils down to the fact that – there's double standards mm-hmm. and and men use feminine traits in characters as vehicles to to put women back down. Yes. And yes. It's not okay. I also think these characters are seen as more challenging because they are so demanding and are so outward about what they want and are not quiet about how they're going to get it. Listen, as a loud woman, I've been told many a time that I'm annoying and that I ask for too much, truthfully. Right. Whereas the foil of these characters, the sweet protagonist, is quieter. Flexible. Flexible. Kind of wishy-washy or um, less demanding, less expressive of her needs more go with the flow because it is more palatable. It is more digestible. It's easier to deal with. Exactly. And and while being easily flexible has its own validity and power to it, yes. it is it's harmful to demonize the notion of a woman who is outwardly expressive of what she wants and expressive of her femininity. And that is really just the root of what we're trying to get at is that you know, Regina George, although she does have mean I she her motivations are are okay. They're her motivations are valid. Her pursuit of those motivations are harmful to some people, mm-hmm. but the inherent motivation isn't evil because she is a person. And while it's important to remember a lot of these characters are although the actors are often like 30 years old which is you know annoying and definitely warps the validity of yeah but the characters are set in high school and high schoolers don't have to have it all figured out high schoolers don't have to act perfectly yeah exactly like high schoolers i mean they know what they want but they don't know how to healthfully get it or like in real life there's a lot of there's a lot of room for error in high school I think a lot of people you know I mean myself included like laugh at who you are in high school yeah or whatever archetype you try to fit into in high school and that being said it's important to highlight how the foil the sensitive quiet girl the brunette the whatever the Gabriella is often not critiqued in any respect. Mm-hmm. She is they get a pass. Right. She is seen as pure and good and that's what it is. But the the strong-willed popular girl, mean girl trope is 
completely nitpicked down to their ultimate downfall. And sometimes they have redemption arcs and sometimes they don't. Also, it's a great little facade to hold like the the pink and the blonde and the um it's 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 a great way to depict shallowness yes because materialism it has been coined at, like being vanity va- yeah vanity has been coined as being shallow and so the motives of these characters are often overlooked or like their feelings are often overlooked because they're just seen as like shallow, one-dimensional, feminine little characters because everybody associates femininity with shallowness. Exactly. And that is damaging because, you know, the ro- – I mean, if we're going to – okay, classics. Okay, <laughs> okay, classics. Give it to me. Romanticism pursued by men is is – applauded romanticism and vanity are applauded i mean there are like countless you know statues like like isn't it david isn't david the really famous statue depiction of like the perfect man yes am i making that up well yes that's like one of them Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean if you want to correct me go ahead but i mean but basically like in the ancient world, so many statues were depicted of like the perfect man and like the beautiful body, and it was it was the it was held on such a pedestal. Right. However, and and those those the pursuit of that is was applauded, applauded in men. Yes, but the the pursuit of that in women is considered it, vanity. Exactly. Yeah, which robes back into. The discussion of Helen of Troy. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna elaborate on that. So we already mentioned how um JFK, Marilyn Monroe, and Jackie Kennedy have been kind of part of that history of this. It go I think it goes back way further. It goes back to like just it's part of humankind. Like it goes back to um like the classical era in um the ancient world where if you have heard of Helen of Troy, I'm sure most of you have heard of her, how she was considered the most beautiful woman in all the ancient world. If we're going to start from the beginning though, I think it's no, it's notable that Helen was Greek originally. Sorry, that's the timer for our um, <laughs> cake. Cause we like to multitask cause we're multifaceted. <laughs> so it's, we're, we're also in the kitchen while we're girl bossing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How perfect. (laughs) So Helen was originally a Greek, but decided to pursue a romantic relationship. There was a contest. Paris judged the contest. Paris picked as his prize the most beautiful woman in all of the world. That woman was Helen. Helen, Paris captures Helen, takes her back to Sparta, or back to Troy, rip where um come on <laughs> come on, come on now. now oh man i'm not gonna pass my classes because of this now um but was taken back to troy with paris and was paris blamed for this no helen was because she was so beautiful and didn't have any control that it was her fault all the suffering that everyone experienced in the trojan war all the death was blamed on helen 
because she was vain and she was beautiful and that's all that there was to her and she was an easy scapegoat when really it was the men's problem. But nobody wants to shame a man. Um, And that's all that to say that like, you know, beauty is in women is perceived as vanity and seen as a lot of a root of a lot of issues and has been. I think the ultimate thing that we're trying to say here is that women should be able to pursue whatever their desire is the same with the same tenacity mm-hmm. as a man. Good word. Thank you. Okay, SAT word. Thank you. I woke up. Honestly, I woke up, okay? <laughs> with the same tenacity as a man without being name-called or labeled or blamed negatively or blamed or – or seen as a quote mean girl. Why isn't there a mean guy trope, huh? Yeah. The Where's mean- the mean guy trope? I don't know. I don't see one. Let's write one. I could. We could turn the tables on this. Oh, how the turntables. <laughs> Listen. It's it's important to remember in the scope of these characters, what is actually villainous action and what is misogyny? I think we owe all these women an apology. Yeah. Because these- listen, I was not innocent. I thought like I hated Sharpay when I was six years old. I thought she was evil. I was like, this this bitch is dramatic and she's annoying. And I also want to say the girls who who looked up to Sharpay, dressed up as Sharpay, the the blonde girls in my class, I hated them too. Mm-hmm. I literally was like, you're annoying. You know what I mean? Like, right. like I bought into that narrative that they were shallow and they were vain and that wanting attention was inherently bad. But when Troy gets on stage, no one has anything to say. Right. I'm sorry. He doesn't even belong on that stage. That's Ryan's stage. He's a basketball player. Stay in your lane. He's got a, he's got enough attention. That's all That's <laughs> yeah, all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And also like – so Mean Girls was written and produced by Tina Fey. And I think Tina Fey was extremely cognizant of the this trope, this dichotomy of women, and that yeah, like, I will never question Tina Fey's in, intelligence. And I mean, I think the purpose of the movie Mean Girls was to exploit this and to show how stupid this like is this this trope, trope is. Trope is. It was yeah. to ta- it was it was meant to be satirical, and that it took it to an extreme, right? I mean, and and also. I think there's a reason that the whole theme of like the animalism, animalistic yeah, behavior, tendencies. like it, it it notes that like human behavior is inherently a little barbaric. Yeah. And that just because like mean – just because the mean girls are in power doesn't mean that they're any different than any other human and that everyone has some sort of animalistic – like tendencies to them. Yeah. And it just because Regina George is pursuing, you know, spring queen, spring fling queen doesn't mean that her pursuits are are more trivial than Katie's like math mathly math pursuits. <laughs> that also just goes back to the whole psychology study that we talked about earlier where like um people are like there's a primal like 
um, primal instinct to prey on things that are seen as inferior um, naturally and like make them seem or like belittle them in a way. And a lot of these characters are belittled and made fun of by audiences. And I don't know. That's like a weird wrap up, but yeah. I mean, what's the solution to this is throw the hierarchy out and recognize that the, that the there's roles need to be filled across society. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, people that pursue different roles within that society are valuable because they contribute. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> Come on, Karl Marx. Thank you. Come on, Karl Marx. Okay, comrade. <laughs> Not a communist. <laughs> I'm open-minded. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, we need we need authors and we need garbage men and we need nail artists and we need like what you know what I mean? Like we like need people, the bitchy popular girls. We need the bitchy popular girls because I mean, how many bitchy popular girls? For I mean, like, how many backhanded comp- comments? Truthfully, how many backhanded comments and comments in high school, like, formed you into the resilient person that you are? You know what I mean? Everything, character. everything serves a purpose, and like, not that like bullying is necessary. That's not what <laughs> no, I'm advocating. Kind of necessary. I'll be real. <laughs> I'm not advocating. I'm on the side of bullying. <laughs> Hollis, <laughs> I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying. Like everyone has their own growth pattern. Everyone has their own path to what their ultimate desire for happiness is going to be. And some people take a mean girl turn. And honestly, I think I dipped my toe into that. I think <laughs> I think I did. So I think that I am a little bit biased in this. I'm now realizing I definitely had some hurtful things to say to people. And maybe I should I was that. a cheerleader. <laughs> and I was a blonde. <laughs> I wasn't very popular, but <laughs> that's my next era. That's I'm what I'm missing. My Mean Girl era. Put on my cheer uniform. <laughs> I don't even know the like. I don't even know how that would even work. I think people would just be like hot, funny. I think you should be a Mean Girl. I think it'd be funny. I just think that like whatever. I was the Gabriella. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you. Were I'm Sharpay. The whatever's conducive to your own growth is right. As I mean, do no little to no harm along the way, but also you're causing harm by nitpicking these powerful women who have a strong feminine feminine ex- self expression. If they feel most confident in an all pink outfit, then they do. Damn, we are preaching today. Yeah, honestly, preachy as hell, but whatever. So let's talk about the solution to this and some inversions of this in media that have been really impactful for our generation and have kind of challenged these notions. have offered a new perspective, if you will. Okay, the inversion of this, the bend and snap. The bend and snap. (laughs) Let's talk Legally Blonde. So – Elle Woods. The, the queen. The, the queen. queen. The feminist queen. Feminist queen. The the definition of revenge, like, I don't know, like getting, bettering yourself out of spite. Yes. Yeah. 
Which she was in her reputation era. She was in her reputation era. She really said, I got into Harvard Law School. But did it look what? like it's hard? What? Like it's hard? But she was in her reputation era while looking like she was in her lover era. And and we love that. For and her. we love that because and that's the whole point. She never compromised a part of herself or and for 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 the Harvard Admissions Council. No. For oh my God, what is his name? Which one, Warner or Emmett? Warner, Warner. Mm-hmm. For Warner? Warner, for her law school friends. I mean, Warner was literally trying to reinforce the Marilyn and Jackie. Oh my God, standard. yeah, more of a Marilyn. Okay, I'm a okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quick anecdote to my theater kid days. Not really. I wasn't a real theater kid, but I wanted so badly to be. Um, I was in Legally Blonde the musical at my camp. Shout out Catherine Cahoon. She was the Warner to my Emmett always. So I was Emmett. Um, but there's literally a song that Warner sings, and she goes, more of a Marilyn, less of a Jackie. No, no, more of a ja- mm-hmm. That's Yeah, something like that. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a, great, it's a great musical. And Legally Blonde, in it, as a whole, subjugates. Is that – is that the correct term? Subverts. Term? Subverts. There you go. Subver- there you go. Subjugates. Subverts <laughs> so many tropes in that the intellectual, um, quote, marryable girl is actually the mean girl. And yes. the ultra-feminine, super-popular sorority girl is the protagonist. The protagonist. And a bad bitch at that. And Warner, who is trying to reinforce these standards, mm-hmm. is villainized. Yeah, he's and, an asshole. And Emmett has the exact same standing as Warner. In fact, even, he's even better. He's yeah. a TA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he recognizes that Elle is valuable, not just for her looks, but for her intelligence and appreciates her self-expression for what it is, is. and doesn't exactly. look down on her because of it and is still a good man because when she gets sexually harassed – doesn't stand up for her, but advocates for herself to stand for her to stand yeah, up for, for herself. herself. Which, yes, that's hot. Don't fix women's problems for them with violence. <laughs> he said. He said, "Go beat him in the courtroom." Exactly, and she did, and she did, and I think that this inversion of the mean girl popular trope has been so impactful to. Girls who grew up watching this, Mm -hmm. you can have it all. Yeah. You can have it all. You can have it all. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can be the president of your sorority, Delta Nu. Um, (laughs) You can like – You can have a chihuahua and cry over a breakup and get into Harvard Law School. And then take that pain, get into Harvard Law School, and show up everybody who ever doubted you or made you feel less about yourself. And the fact that she solved the courtroom case as well – based on something that is considered frivolous, like shopping. Yeah. She, no, it's about it was about um like hair. Like oh perm. hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chesney. Well, well, Chesney she, was that her name? Chesney? Well she also she also figured out that the pool boy was gay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he says, Don't stomp your Prada shoes at me, honey. Yeah. And yeah. she figured out that he was gay. And then went on to win the court case based on perm rules. So it just it inherently says that just because the traditional view of things that are classified as feminine traits or like feminine knowledge even knowledge yes are not useful yes it it was useful in real life application in a courtroom in a courtroom and that was such a momentous thing for media right. i think i think that that's why it was so big is because it's 
it's a chick flick, but it's like a, it's like smart and, and, and it subverts important character tropes. Yeah. And it's empowering. Um, one thing I love about, um, Legally Blonde is that, I mean, obviously Elle questions herself. Like she goes to the salon because she thinks she has to become a brunette in order to like fit in or get Warner back because Vivian, like yes. Warner's new fiance is a brunette and like smart and like studious and like dresses and like and comes from like drab garb yeah and, like the wealthy family like she, yeah like, it's just and mm-hmm. vivian in like tries to humiliate her so many times like with like the part the, the, the costume party. party yeah um but so she goes to the salon and there paulette it's like, don't change for a man. Like, don't change anything, like the things you love about yourself just to try and get somebody back. Like, you're better than that. And I think that, like, coming from, like, another woman, like, woman, like, solidarity, um, I I think that was very refreshing because in these kind of – the inverse movies that we talked about, like, you don't see a lot of, like, support or solidarity with women in general. Right. Like and it friendship. Also, I mean, it also came from, you know, someone who's like a nail stylist. Like, right. Someone who's not like, who isn't like a white collar, like, I don't like. Having the wise character, like the wise godmotherly like character mm-hmm. be like a nail stylist is yeah. important as well. It says that like, like talent and like success and intellectualism is like relative to what you're good at and what Right. You feel are your talents. And, like, that's an important like, message as well. prestige is not everything. No. At all. I mean, she she gets what she wants at the end. She gets a happy ending at the end of the movie. She gets the UPS guy. Yeah. <laughs> and her dog back. I'm taking the dog, dumbass. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Jennifer oh Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge for president. For president. And <laughs> <laughs> someone said, like, I want to see the James, next James Bond, Bond movie. Happy, and, but it's, it's Jennifer, Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge. Stop. That'd be this is so bad. But this speaks to the broader sense of how we're going to bring this back to Little Women, which is one of the most beautiful films. It's the per- it's a perfect movie. Let's let's call it what it is. It is a, a perfect per- movie, a perfect storyline. We're of course talking movie. about Little Women twenty nineteen. Yes, Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Little Women is so important because it it is the perfect example of how multifaceted women are. And how the different facets can complement each other. Exactly. So all of the little women, which are the March sisters, mm-hmm. are close. They they experience their own tensions, but those tensions make them better people. They yeah. challenge each other yeah. because they all truthfully come from different places, different different motivations, although they were all raised under the same roof. Right. No one is – I mean, although culture has suggested that Joe is better than Amy because she's boyish and she has, um, and like she has real aspirations, real aspirations, and aspirations to be a writer. Yeah. Greta Gerwig's interpretation of this novel, which I think is the closest one, or is the closest interpretation to what Louisa May Alcott was was intending yeah. for this to be, is that all four versions of a woman, right? There mm-hmm. aren't four, but you know, these depictions of what these character archetypes One is can dead. Be. 
One, <laughs> one being dead. One being dead. No, she's like an angel borrowed from heaven yeah. type. Yeah, yeah. She's like the pure, most like giving soul. And there are, I mean, you're you're a Beth. You don't think you're a Beth? Is that a compliment? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. I don't okay. want you to die, but like you're <laughs> – you like to play. Am I a Beth because I don't speak, can't do anything because I'm dead? No. You you like you like to play your piano. You like to you like to read your classic novels and take care of everyone and preserve the harmony of the group. You're a Joe. I think I'm an Amy. Really? Yes. I think I'm an Amy. Do you I not think I'm an both. Amy? I could see you being like a Wait, should we give it a rundown of these archetypes so that yeah, people yeah, don't yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Joe. Joe March is like the most famous character from Little Woman. She is like the protagonist, basically who Louisa May, May Alcott was, was in her yeah, life. Yeah. She is boyish. She doesn't like societal standards in the 1800s mm-hmm. for women that they have to get married and have children to have value. Yes. That is a very important feminist icon because it was very, very controversial for the time, time period, period. Yes. to not get married. Yes. And or to have children, or, or, have children yeah. or aspire to be the object of affection of a man. Exactly. Which is why everyone thinks Joe is a lesbian, but that's a whole other <laughs> discourse. But that aside, she is championed as like the best or the the most important of the little women. Right. But Greta Gerwig's interpretation highlights more the other three March sisters. More so than ever portrayed in film for Little Women before because there are several interpretations of Little Women. Do you want to talk about Meg? Yeah. So Meg, on the other hand, I think Meg is like the least like Joe. She's like the kind of opposite of Joe. Meg wants to be married. She wants to have kids. Like family is extremely important to her, like creating a family. Um, she's She loves fashion. She loves the kind of society like – she enjoys like cotillion and balls. Yes, and balls and like just the and kind of falling in love. Right, right. She's, she's like a, a romantic. romantic. <laughs> she's a romantic. Um, and Joe and her have an interesting conversation when Meg is about to get married. Where this is the best scene. I know. I want to get this tattoo on my back, just the entire the entire script. literally. Um, yeah. So basically. Joe is pleading with Meg. She's like, don't get married. Like, She's in her wedding dress. Like Meg is in her wedding about dress about to, about to get married. married. And Joe is pleading with her. And it's like, you can, like, we can, we'll be interesting forever. Like he's going to get, you probably know the whole thing. I do. Take it over. <laughs> You'll get bored of him in two years, but we will be interesting, interesting forever. And to which Meg says, just because my dreams are different from yours doesn't mean they're less important. Which is so important. Yeah. It's so, and like, I think that I never truly like under I don't even think I understood that when it came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think that I I mean I've I've spoken to this before but I I've, I've always had like business aspirations. I've always like I mean I wanted to like be a CEO when I was 10. Like it's weird. Like I've always kind of like had the notion that like I've always wanted to like be a woman in power and I thought that that and that was like my perfect example of, of feminism, feminism and yeah. what I like I put on on a pedestal, pedestal right. was that a a businesswoman was a powerful woman. Yes. And which is true. Which is true. And and, and yes and, and yes and yes, yes and, comma and yes comma and women who aspire to cultivate 
a beautiful home life yes are also extremely powerful because i think that men want to look down on women who are caretaking mm-hmm. because that reinforces the patriarchy yeah because that pits women against each other to to have other women look down upon other have women look down upon other women for their choices yes because yes. because suffocating a woman's ability to have choice in any regard gives men more power to make their choices right but it's so important to remember that like it's all it's all relative it's all relative to what your strengths are and what your dreams are. Exactly. So that is a really important conversation in Little Women. Yeah. And it, it is extremely – like if you take the the patriarchal aspect of it, like being a mother and like staying home with your children, if that is your choice, is also extremely noble and just right. as difficult or hard work as – like being a CEO or being like a woman in business or successful. I also think that it's like extremely impactful too because like when you put such a strong emphasis on home life, you inherently like raise good people. people and right. that's so important to like society yeah, too. exactly. And people fail to see how important that is. Right. So to take a sidestep from Meg, Beth, although she doesn't have like romantic aspirations more so – has familial aspirations in the sense that she wants to keep her sisters together. Yes. At, and by any she's means. She's kind of the glue. Right. So Joe and Amy butt heads a lot and she's always advocating for both of them to drop. I mean, I think that there's a line where she says like, your sisters. Mm-hmm. Like she she is so intent on keeping the family she has together. I think because she had, I, I have, I have a, a feeling that she has this, this inclination that she has a short time to like yeah, make an impact. She, I, mean, I think she's a she cancer. Knows. She's she intuitive. Knows. She knows that she wants to keep the family she has together while she has, she has it. it. Yeah. And I also think she has the foresight and just the above, like the bird's eye view that like their relationship to one another is like so much more important than like whatever else they got Sisterly going on. Sisterly squabbles. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then. To talk about Amy, who is the most controversial character in Little Women, she – someone's drag racing outside. <laughs> Amy – Krista is trying so hard not to make noise with her ice right now. It's absolutely <laughs> cracking me up. So Amy is very strong-willed. Amy's an Aries. I don't care. And she's very strong-willed and often tries to sabotage Joe because they are kind of in a weird competition power dynamic yeah. co- competitive um <laughs> you can put your ice you can in put your ready. ice in it's okay <laughs> this isn't like a high budget podcast <laughs> so Amy and Joe fight a lot and that is inherently because they're pretty similar they're very aspirational driven women yes but they have different aspirations and drives. Mm-hmm. And Amy wants to marry Rich so that she can pursue her artistic endeavors. Kind of using like her – I mean, obviously she wants love, but it she sees that relationship with a man who has the power as a stepping stone to her own success. Which is hilarious 
in the sense that she sees men <laughs> as an object yeah to as a vehicle to her own success right vibes but <laughs> she no she understands society more than any of them and right. she knows what she wants and she's gonna use society to get it listen florence Pugh and timothy chalamet have this great little oh conversation my God, my part of the movie. in paris france where <laughs> <laughs> where amy advocates that that Lori doesn't know what he's talking about. Lori suggests that um, that love is the most important thing in someone's life, and that and Amy doesn't believe that marrying for love is the most important thing. Right. She sees love as as a means to pursue her own talent. She comes from a very poor family and intends to use her good looks to marry above her wealth caliber and like raise her family's wealth because marriage is an economic proposition. And don't tell me that it's, it's not. not. And and Lori suggests, well, I think the poets would disagree. And to put it in layman's terms, I suppose, she suggests you get to think like that because right, you're a man you're rich and you're a man and you don't have to worry about You don't have to worry about your that. social status or any of that. I can she says I can't paint unless I have money. So I'm going to get that money by marrying a man because I can't get a job. Exactly. So I want to paint. So I'm going to marry however I want. And that causes tension in Joe and Amy because Joe is very much a self-starter, do-it-yourself. Like, don't rely don't on rely a man. Don't rely on anybody. Whereas Amy sees, like, sees how – she sees this, Yes, she sees, game. she sees the system as a whole and says, I don't need to be a martyr – to get yeah. what I want. Right. Right. I can use the system to my advantage. Right. And I think that that's why I'm an Amy because I'm like, I'm an accounting major so I can get my money so I can do what I want. Right. Exactly. So that's why I think I'm an Amy. I see that. I see that for sure. So, so all of this to say, Little Women gives Amy a happy ending, a, an actually happy ending, I think, in yeah. Greta Gerwig's version. Because she gets real love with Lori. Like mm -hmm. she she gets to experience that romantic love that Lori's advocating for because she's been in love with Lori her entire life. Right. She's had yeah. a huge crush on him while he had his his sights determined on, on Joe, Joe, who did not reciprocate his love. So she and Lori is rich. <laughs> exactly. So she gets the status, she gets the love, she gets the ability to do what she wants to do, which is paint and create art. She gets it all. And Joe gets her happy ending because she gets to feel fulfilled by the fact she is the self-starter. She publishes her book. She starts the the school for mm -hmm. children in her area. Like everyone, I mean, I guess besides Beth, gets <laughs> – Besides Beth, rest in peace. Gets – May she rest in peace. <laughs> gets their ultimate form of happiness. Yeah, Meg gets to create this beautiful home and family with like a man she loves, John. Right. And um, and with a good man. And yeah. I think that the point that Little Women is trying to, to make is that every woman has a different definition of happiness and success. And that is so important to remember. And to bring this back to the zoomed out point of this episode is that it doesn't matter what a woman wants, how a woman wants to express herself or what she wants to pursue. It matters that she's a person and her pursuits and her desires are important valid are valid yeah because 
she is who she is. Right. And as long as you are being genuine to your self-expression, then that's all that matters. So here's your homework. Yeah. We're assigning homework now. Because we've been preaching this whole episode and now we feel like we should. Yeah. We're professors and we can pres- we can assign homework if we want to. This is women's studies. <laughs> <laughs> For this episode, I guess. All right. So here's your homework. And I'm talking to myself too because I am definitely guilty of this. Do you have a girl that you hate? Has she really done anything to you? In my case, cases, truthfully, is she super feminine? And is that why you uh, consider her a mean girl? Does she, like, get what you want? Or does she just have different aspirations than you? Can you give her another chance? Can you start over with her? Can you appreciate who for who she is and her fullest expression? What does that look like? How would that alter your story? <laughs> How would that enrich Since we're life? talking about the story of us, you know? Exactly. How would that open you to new experiences? Truly. Ugh. New friendships. Yoga teacher training has changed us so much. I know. We're so good. But tr- seriously, your homework, reevaluate your perspective on someone that you don't like. Yeah. Like I think if from anything we've gathered from this episode is that let women do what they want. Stop trying to put women in boxes and start appreciating every expression of femininity and womanhood. And when you see – or not like when you see, but if you like see femininity portrayed in media in like some kind of way, like I don't know, like think about it more. Maybe do a little journaling on what boxes you're putting yourself into, man. Oh man, yeah, turn it back on yourself. Like, let's do some, let's do some self exploration. All right, I love some self exploration. We're getting back to our roots. Exactly. We're getting back to our roots. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed it, please um, go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram and on TikTok at the Story of Us Podcast. You can email us at the Story of Us Pod at gmail.com. We have not gotten any emails, and I would truly love if we did with some suggestions. You can also DM us. Yeah. Our DMs are open. And yeah. We I hope- say this every time, but we're trying to get back on a more consistent schedule. We're giving ourselves some grace, but we also need a little bit of discipline up in here. So um if y'all reach out to us, I think we would be more um, inclined to work a little harder to get you guys some more content. So thanks for listening. We love y'all. Bye. Bye. The end.